0: This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, that dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The role of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Having apprehended Kaelnoff, The party brought the priest before the Reeve, Braddock, who sent him to the dungeon. Valen had reservations that Kaonoth would not be punished, but Braddock reassured him that one way or another the priest would face justice. The Reeve went on to explain that he had received reports from the mining community at Four Rivers of men going missing in the mines, and asked the party if they would investigate. Valen did not want to tarry, wishing to pursue the Brethren of the Purifying Light but Beric and Lena argued that they could not do so without more coin. Balen accepted the wisdom of this, and the companions agreed to Brannock's request. The next day, the party met a Carter named Jago, whom Brannock had asked them to accompany to Four Rivers. On the first day of the journey, the party encountered a bugbear. After a brief battle, the party were victorious. During the second day, the wagon fell into a pothole on the road. Having pushed it through, the companions are about to face possibly their most deadly enemies yet. Chapter 8. Part one. Day 15. Late morning. Party status. Beric, nine out of nine hit points. Lena. 6 out of 6 hit points. Kier, 4 out of 4 hit points. Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push. The canopy of the two great elms stretching over the road completely blocked the light, casting a heavy, dark shadow over the companions as they walked back towards the wagon. Ahead of them, Jago had brought the wagon to a halt, and the carter was bent over checking the wheel now it was free of the pothole. Valen and Lena walked ahead, the pair deep in conversation, whilst Beric and Keir walked a few paces behind. Beric was wary of the gloom. They were vulnerable, and he could feel his heart beginning to pump in his chest. He scanned the treeline on either side of the road, his eyes darting about in search of any possible threat. His hand involuntarily moved to the hilt of his sword. here noticing Beric's vigilance, drew an arrow from his quiver before knocking it to his bow. Ahead of them, the horses began to whinny and snort and the pair both stamped their feet in agitation. Perhaps it was the gloom and a desire to see the open sky, but whatever it was, something was unsettling them. The hairs on the back of Beric's neck suddenly prickled and a big man had an urge to look up. He instinctively lifted his head and saw two black and bloated forms descending upon them from above. Look out! Entering Combat The party have been attacked by a pair of Giant Spiders. There are a few different types of Giant Spiders listed in the Basic Expo rules, and I have opted for the weakest variety, a Crab Spider. Having said that, Crab Spiders are still two hit dice creatures with an armor class of 12. As well as getting a plus one to attack and dealing 1 to 8 points of damage with their bite. Any successful hit requires the target to make a plus 2 save versus death or die from the poison in 1D4 rounds. In that respect, this was the worst possible encounter on my random table. Let's roll the spider's hit points. The first spider. 6. The second spider. 9. I am going to rule that the spiders will not be surprised. In addition, crab spiders use stealth to ambush their prey meaning that the party will be surprised on a roll of 4 or less on a d6. Let's see whether the spiders get a free attack. A 5. No, the party have been on their guard and they are not surprised. Round 1 Initiative The spiders? A 6. The party? A 4. That is not good. I will randomly roll to see who the spiders attack. The first spider? Jago Jago is a first level rogue. I rolled his hit points off Mike and got a 4. I also rolled his stats, which resulted in an impressive dexterity of 16, which confers a plus 2 to his armour class. With its attack bonus, that means the spider will need an 11 or more to hit. A 6. As the spider drops, Jago rolls to the side at the last moment. The second spider will attack. Valen, This is bad. Valen has the worst armour class of the party and first level magic users are particularly vulnerable. The spider will need just a 9 or more to hit. A 10. The spider lands on the mage who is knocked to the ground, before sinking its fangs into Valen's neck. These two next rolls will determine whether Valen lives or dies. First of all, a damage roll on a D8. A 3. Okay. so Valen needs to make a plus 2 save versus death. He needs an 11 or more. I really don't want to make this roll, but this is what it's all about. Real choices, real consequences, and real risk. The whole experience is meaningless without it. Okay, here goes. Come on, Valen. I rolled a 12. I honestly thought that was it for Valen, but somehow the dice have spared him, at least for now. But he has just one hit point remaining. Valen will attempt to cast Push. Here is his casting roll. An 11. Somehow he manages to mutter the incantation despite the wound on his neck. The spider is thrown back. 5 yards. Kia knocks an arrow and shoots at the spider on Balan. With his bonus and the short range, he needs a 10 or more. A 16 for. 2 points of damage. Kia's arrow thumps into one of the spider's legs. It hisses as Lena runs up and swings her Warhammer. Lena needs a 12 or more. Not 20! That will be maximum damage plus an additional roll. A four. That makes 10 points of damage. Laina's blow completely crushes the spider's cephalothorax and it falls in a crumpled heap. That roll could not have come at a better time. I cannot believe the number of nat 20s that Lena has rolled. That's three in five combats. Like Beric, Lena is turning out to be a fierce fighter. Jago draws his dagger and lunges at the spider that attacked him. He needs a 12 or more. A 16 for... Two points of damage. Beric moves to assist Jago. He needs a 10 or more. A 13. 3 points of damage. Beric's sword slashes across the spider's abdomen and yellow ooze splashes from the wound. The spider has just one hit point remaining. Round 2. Initiative. The spider. A 1. The party. A 2. Keir immediately has another arrow on his bowstring. He shoots. Needing a ten or more, an eighteen. No need to roll damage. The arrow thuds into the cephalothorax, killing the spider instantly. Chapter eight, part two, day fifteen, afternoon. Party status: Beric, nine out of nine hit points. Lena. 6 out of 6 hit points, Kier, 4 out of 4 hit points, Valen, 1 out of 4 hit points. Spells available, there are no spells available. Valen's vision blurred until all he could see was a kaleidoscope of colour and light. His body convulsed and shook involuntarily as a death-like coldness encompassed his entire body. He could feel the spider's venom coursing through his veins as he fought desperately to resist the toxin. Fear and panic threatened to overcome him. It enveloped him like a shroud, choking him, suffocating him, until he thought he could bear it no longer. The light grew brighter, and brighter still, until it flared, blinding him in the process. Was this death, he thought? The light subsided. Sunlight dappled lazily through the leaves of the small orchard in which Valen stood. A blackbird sang amongst branches, which were laden with ripe red apples. The air was salty, and in the distance he could hear the faint crashing of waves on rocks. He recognised this place. Beyond the wicker fence marking the orchard's boundary, a path led to the tower. Valen sensed his master behind him. He did not turn, fearing that Amos's visage would be one of undeath. The mage felt his master place a hand on his shoulder. He could feel the heat of Amos's hand through his woolen jerkin. It was reassuring. Now then, Amos said. His voice was just as Valen remembered. Focus on the emotion, his master instructed. Valen focused inward. He felt his grief. It was still raw, a deep and seemingly unending sadness. Something else also anger hatred, and a desire for vengeance. Not justice, no, justice would not suffice. He wanted retribution. Now, move from feeling it to seeing it, visualize it in your mind's eye. Give it substance, give it form, and when the time comes, push it out. An image began to form in Valen's mind, that of a small sphere of glowing red light building within his chest, absorbing his emotions as tiny particles, feeding it, nourishing it. His fear grew further still as light began to permeate his flesh and bone. It was hot, and soon Valen could feel the light prickling at his skin. Amos now moved in front of him, and walked over to one of the trees. The old man reached up and picked a large ripe apple from one of the branches. He turned to face Valen. Now, speak the words. Amos instructed. Valen reached into his mind. He knew not how, but the unfamiliar words formed in his thoughts. He held out his arms in front of him, hands pressed together. He spoke the incantation and threw his arms wide, and as he did so, the light within him was forced out through his skin, forming a translucent barrier around his entire body. Valen looked at his master. The old man was smiling broadly. Very good Valen. very good. Amos suddenly threw the apple. It should have struck Valen straight on the nose. The mage flinched, anticipating the impact, but instead the apple bounced harmlessly off the barrier onto the grass. Valen looked at Amos, who was still smiling. Amos, I. But before Valen could finish his sentence, the light flared once more, and the orchard and everything else faded into white. time passed. How long, he could not say. Slowly, he became aware of his surroundings. The rocking of the wagon, the sound of wheels and hooves on the dirt, the soft murmur of voices. He recognised Beric. Will he live? I cannot say. He has a fever. If it breaks, then he will live. If not, then… Either way, he is in the hands of the Nine. I'm not sure he would agree with you. All the same, I shall pray for him. The wagon rode over a stone, and there was a sudden jolt. Vaylin groaned involuntarily. Baiden Lena cried. She moved to the mage, who was lying among the sacks and crates. The novitiate placed her hand on his forehead. He found her touch cool and soothing. You're burning up here. Lena gently lifted the mage's head and brought a water skin to his lips. Valen took a sip and coughed. (coughs) He opened his eyes a little and looked at the young woman. Fear not, Lena, he said hoarsely. I will live. Valen closed his eyes and slipped back into oblivion. Behind the screen. Well, I'm certainly relieved that Valen passed his save vs. death roll. I think that from a probability perspective, that is the closest I have come to losing a character. The basic expert rules offer nothing more than if a character passes the roll, then they are not affected by the poison. From a purely game perspective, this makes sense, but narratively, I just don't think this is realistic. Even if someone did survive a deadly venom, surely it would make them very ill suffering all manner of unpleasant effects for several days. Therefore, to reflect this, I am going to rule that whilst Valen will recover hit points in the normal way, he will spend 1d4 days, from the point of being poisoned, lying in the wagon, drifting in and out of a feverish delirium. Here is the roll. A 2. Okay, so all being well, Valen will have recovered from the effects of the venom by the final day of the party's journey. So let's see what happens for the remaining two days of the journey to Four Rivers. Day 16. Overnight, the others share the watches whilst Valen is lost in a fitful sleep. However, the mage does recover one hit point. From day 16, the party heads southwest from the crossroads, leaving the heartwood behind as the road cuts its way across the Tainmoor. Weather. A 9. Temperate but wet weather returns. Once again, the companions huddle in their cloaks, but on the exposed moor, there is little escape from the rain. Beric constructs a makeshift shelter for Valen using the waxed canvas, which saves the mage from the worst of the wet weather. Stumble upon. 10. Nothing. Wandering encounter. A 5. No encounter. Day 17. As with the night before, the others share the watches whilst Valen rests. Once again, the mage's sleep is restless, but he still recovers one hit point. Weather roll. A 4. A north-easterly wind brings a cold air that the day remains dry. Stumble upon. A 20. This is our first stumble upon, and I must admit I was not expecting that, so I will need to give it some thought. Before I do that, I will finish the rolls for this day by checking for wandering encounters. A 1. Okay, let's see when the encounter happens. A 3. The encounter happens during the day. As the party are back on the Tainwall, I will roll on the moorland encounter table. A 20. Well, that is a surprise. The result indicates a monster that I have called the Terror of Tainmore. This might well be the greatest test yet for our adventurers. Chapter 8, Part 3 Day seventeen, morning. Party status: Beric, nine out of nine hit points; Lena, six out of six hit points; Kier, four out of four hit points; Valen, three out of four hit points. Spells available: Valen has memorized Push. Valen's fever broke with the dawn, and the mage had awoken with the ravenous hunger of a man who had not eaten in two days. For the most part, Lena had stayed close in vigil over the mage, praying for Nia to spare him from the realm of death. The novitiate had mocked his brow and moistened his lips with water, and only when she could no longer stave off sleep did Beric and Kier take on these duties. Beric prepared a fire upon which Valen boiled some water, And into which he put some nettle leaves which he had collected a few days earlier the companions shared the infusion appreciating its warmth in the cold morning as they broke their fast with stale bread and hard cheese they said little and even the garrulous jago was quiet everyone was keen to reach their destination eventually valen broke the silence i i wanted to thank you all without your care i would surely be dead the mage looked at Lena. And particularly you, Lena. In those moments of lucidity, I knew you were watching over me, praying for me. The novitiate gave a small smile. There's no need to thank us, Valen. We are your friends. Valen returned the smile and nodded. That you are. Once they had eaten their fill, Jago harnessed the horses which had been grazing at the side of the road, whilst the others climbed aboard the wagon. Valen opened his spellbook and began to study, and after a time the mage retrieved ink and quill from his pack and began to scratch at the pages, whilst muttering strange words under his breath. Jago gave a short whistle and flicked the reins, which was enough to encourage the pair of horses to start walking. Several hours passed with no sign of bird or beast, as the road wound its way over the moorland. The atmosphere was strange, not so much ominous but otherworldly, as they travelled the bleak landscape. The cold wind whistled as it passed through the wheel spokes, and the companions pulled their cloaks about them. In the far distance, to the left, above lower Rises, was a large hill with twin peaks, between which sat a saddle ridge. That there's the twins, Jago announced, nodding in the direction of the peaks. The Four Rivers moine runs in them, the carter added. Then we must be close?" Beric asked. Aye, but a few more hours yet, Jager replied. They continued on for another couple of miles. The road began to follow the route upstream of a small river, before bending left around a copse of stunted oaks and willows. As they cleared the trees, the companions could see a small waterfall flowing over a cliff in the hillside some fifty yards away. The water cascaded into a pool before running off into the river. The pool itself was surrounded by a ring of greyish-brown granite boulders. The petrified sentinels jutted upright from the ground like jagged, broken teeth. The teeth of the dragon, Valen said softly, catching Lena's gaze. The novitiate returned a slight smile. What is this place? Beric asked. A place of significance for the ancient people of this land. Valen answered. These rings channel and harness the magical energy of this place. I would like to see more closely." Jago brought the wagon to a halt, and the companions alighted. They walked along the bank of the river up the gentle slope towards the waterfall. The boulders were no more than three feet in height, but each bore strange symbols that had been etched into the surface. Each of the markings were of triple spirals in rotational symmetry. Valen, do you recognise these symbols? Beric asked. I do, they are Triskelies, an ancient motif symbolizing the cycle of birth, life and death. These stones bind the power of the water in this place. I can feel it. I believe that the water here may have some beneficial property, which is why the ancients sanctified it with this ring. How can you be sure? Lena sounded doubtful. I cannot. Would my people do so similarly, there is the one way to find out." Valen handed his staff to Kia and stepped forward between the stones, and as he did so, he felt the hum of unseen energy all around him. He reached out to touch the coarse surface of the granite with his hand. It was warm to the touch, and a soft vibration emanated from within that was comforting to him. The mage moved to the pool and knelt. Cupping his hands, he drew some of the water. Valen, Lena said with alarm. I do not think you should. The novitiate's voice trailed off as the mage drank. The water was pure and cool, and Valen could feel a cleansing within, a vitality flowing through his entire body, invigorating him. Valen turned to face the others. Their faces each wore expressions of surprise or wonder. He reached up to his neck to feel the wound where the spider had bitten him. The skin was smooth and unbroken and there was no longer any pain. It is a miracle! Lena exclaimed and dropped to her knees. The Nine be praised! Perhaps, or perhaps it is the power of the dragon. Without warning, a cry of abject fear broke the enchantment of the moment. The companions turned towards the direction of the road. A strange black fog had formed in the valley floor, obscuring the wagon. Suddenly, Jago emerged from the fog, running up the slope towards the companions, a look of pure terror on the man's face. A moment later, the source of his terror came hurtling out of the fog. The creature took the form of a huge black hound. The beast was at least eight feet long from nose to tail its crimson eyes glowing unnaturally. The companions drew their weapons, but it was too late. In his panic, Jago stumbled as his foot hit a dip Ah. in the ground. The hound seized its chance and launched itself at its prey. Jago screamed as the hound's claws hooked into his back and dragged him down to the ground and began to maul him. Entering combat. When I added the entry on my Wandering Encounter table called The Terror of Tame Moor, I did not have any specific ideas about what that might be. The inspiration came from various legends originating in the moorlands of South West England, a place that holds special significance for me, and which has been the inspiration for the whole of the Tame War. In the end, I decided the Terror would be based on a legend from Dartmoor, which itself inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's famous Sherlock Holmes story, The Hound of the Baskervilles, The companions have encountered a Hellhound. The basic expert rules describe this enemy as a monstrous, cunning and very intelligent hound, the size of a small pony. They can be 3 to 7 hit dice creatures, so I have opted for 4. They have a d6 damage bite attack, but each round there is a 2 in 6 chance that it will instead use its breath attack, automatically inflicting 4d6 points of damage on a specified target. Okay, let's roll the Hellhound's hit points. 16. The Hellhound is not going to be surprised, but let's see whether the party are. A 4. The party are not surprised. Round 1. Initiative. The Hellhound. A 4. The party. A 5. The Hellhound is focused on Jago, giving the party the edge on reacting. Valen endeavours to cast a push, in an attempt to free Jago from the Hellhound's claws. Valen needs to make a successful intelligence check, requiring a 15 or less. Here is the roll. A 13. Valen holds out his hand. An invisible force bursts from his fingers. The hellhound is thrown back. 4 yards. Let's see whether the creature is knocked prone. A 3 or less on a d6 will mean it is. A 3. The beast tumbles as it is thrown back. It will not be able to attack this round as it picks itself up. Meanwhile, Kier knocks an arrow and shoots. The Hellhound has an armour class of 15, but Kier's dexterity bonus means that he needs a 14 or more. A 10. Keir cannot hit the moving target as the Hellhound is thrown back. His arrow whistles harmlessly past. Beric and Lena charge forward. Lena needs a 15 to hit. A 16 for 6 points of damage. The Novitiate's Warhammer smashes into the Hellhound's hindquarters. Beric swings his sword. With his strength bonus, he needs a 13 or more. A 16. 4. 7 points of damage, plus his strength bonus, that's 9 points of damage. Beric's sword slices the beast across the shoulder. The Hellhound has just one hit point remaining. Round 2 Initiative The Hellhound A 6 The Party A 2 I am going to make a morale check for the Hellhound. It has a morale of 9. Here is the roll on 2d6. An 8. The Hellhound will continue to fight. I am going to make a high-low roll on a d6 to determine who the Hellhound will attack. On a 1 to 3, Beric. On a 4 to 6, Lena. A 2. The Hellhound will attack Beric. Now to roll on a d6 to see whether the Hellhound uses its breath attack. A 1 or a 2 means it will. A three. The creature snaps forward with its jaws. The Hellhound gets a plus four to its attack roll. That means it needs an eleven or more to hit the fighter. A sixteen. Four. Four points of damage. The Hellhound sinks its teeth into Beric's thigh. The big man cries Uh. out in pain. Now the party attacks. Kier knocks another arrow and shoots. But with a five, the rogue's arrow thuds harmlessly into the ground. Lena swings her warhammer. But with a 7, the Novitiate misjudges the blow as the (laughs) Hellhound fights Beric. Beric needs to roll a 13 or more. A 13! No need to roll damage. Beric brings the hilt of his sword down on the Hellhound's head. There is a crunching sound as the creature's skull is smashed. It makes Ah. a whining sound for a moment before falling limply to the floor. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard then please consider giving it a 5 star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. I would like to thank this episode's voice talent. Returning as Jago, Robin Sampson. Thank you Robin, your voice once again has really added to the show. You can help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, Email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of Bone. Are you looking for a DD podcast with the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls.